0: Good morning, Brookwood. I th- I heard that there are some children in here today. Are there children and students in here today? All right, now listen. I know your parents are right next to you, okay? So you feel like you got to be on your best behavior, and you should. You definitely should, okay? But if you just want to yell one time when I ask you, that'd be great, and you could just tell your mom and dad that the preacher told me to do it, okay? Okay? Can y'all do that? Okay. So, are there any kids in here? All right. I'm going to be preaching to y'all. Come on. That's good. Uh, well, we're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, as you've heard, we've got over 350 folks in Ocoee, Tennessee uh, today. They've been, they actually, if you go on Facebook, you could check out Brookwood Church Facebook page. Literally, you see a picture of students arms around each other, praying for our services this morning. Um, So they they know what's going on here this morning. I'm super excited. Uh, They're having a blast. About right now, uh, high school students are getting uh, uh, ready and prepped to go whitewater rafting, Uh, so it's going to be fun. Um, But uh, I got to open up camp. They are worshiping like crazy, responding to God's message. Perry came on Friday night. Gene Beckner spoke last night, and Gene drove all the way here this morning. Come on, Gene. Goodness gracious, four hours, way to go. Uh, And then today they're going to be sharing, the student pastors are going to be sharing about community and isolation. So I'm just so excited uh, to be here with you. The reason why we brought all the kids in here was because we we just literally can't do children's ministry when the students are gone. I mean, half of all the leaders that we have in small groups in children's ministry from birth to, to fourth grade, half of them are students, teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. It's incredible. And so... First of all, I hope that you hear that as an affirmation. And then second of all, I'm challenging, like, where, adults, where are you at? Come on. you got these teenagers out serving you. Don't do that now. Come on. Maybe you need to be praying about what, what your responsibility is in that, okay? But we're going to pray this morning. We're going to pray for our services. And we're also going to be praying for these students as they hear again God's Word uh, as they're at camp. So what we're going to do, kids, you help your mom and dad on how to do this, okay? You're just going to lift your hand up because not all our families here today. Y'all lift your hand up. Parents, lift your hands up. We're going to pray, all right? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God, that no matter where we go, you are with us. And we pray for our family who's away right now at Okoe Tennessee. We pray that your word would be preached with boldness and clarity, and we pray that these teenagers would come back on fire, and we pray we get close to them to warm us up. And we pray, God, that they would spread the message of Jesus Christ in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their schools when they come back, and that we would see transformation happen in the lives of hundreds of teenagers because of you. And we pray for the Word that's about to get preached today. We're, we're thankful that kids and students are in here, and at the same time, we know that you can communicate with them just as well as you can communicate with us. So, God, we pray as the Word is, is taught today, we fall under your authority, not our preferences or opinions. Teach us, God. Show us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. Now, because the kids and students are with us today, we've moved the passage in Colossians. We were in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to move to actually the passage that talks about the family in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. So, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, you can get your Bible out on your phone and swipe there. Don't Siri there. That might be a little distracting, but Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 20. We're also going to be in a parallel passage today in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22 all the way to chapter 6, verse 4. And those two things marry uh, together, parallel each other, so they'll give us some, some, some good depth to our teaching today. Now, Paul, in talking about Colossians, has really been dealing with the uh, false teaching that's happening to these people in Colossae and also Laodicea, Um, and it's it's kind of a big deal that he is clarifying the gospel. So, really, the first two chapters of Colossians really have to do with why we believe what we believe and who enables us to believe that. And Josh Masters did an incredible job the last two weeks talking about fullness with Christ, union with Christ, not only that Christ's sacrifice for us is perfect and complete, but also the benefits that are offered to us are also full and complete and perfect. And so, because of that, we can approach God's throne with confidence, we can approach Him with peace. We can approach Him with love because we know that Jesus has earned all of that through His life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so, we're moving from all of those things to… Now, what does that look like practically day-to-day? What does that look like? And so, our theme verse is actually when Paul starts to make this transition uh, at the beginning of chapter 3 in verse 1, and he just says this. He says, "...since you've been raised to new life with Christ… Set your sights on the realities of heaven. So in other words, Paul is pointing us to the instruction you're about to get. This is heavenly instruction. This is kingdom of God instruction. And so you got to put your eyes there. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to put your eyes there and not leave them here on planet Earth to figure out how to live, okay? And further down, I know we're talking about the family today, but I also know that there are a lot of you in here that you're going to hear some things, and the enemy's going to tell you there's nothing for me here. Okay, so I want you to start in understanding this, is the environment that Paul's about to teach how to be a family in these two verses right before verse 18, and that's 16 and 17, uh, which just says this. Let the message about Christ in all its richness, and I love this phrase being in this passage because what I love about the gospel is, is your kids… Your kids can understand the gospel. They can understand that God loves them, and even though they're an enemy of God, according to Scripture, God gave His Son sacrificially for them so that they might experience new life in Christ. Kids can grasp that, but you can also get Ph.D. after Ph.D. after Ph.D. in implications of the gospel, and even if you spend your entire lifetime studying the depths of the gospel and what that means for life, you will not find the end. And so, when Paul's talking about richness, it is rich, it is deep, and it is a pool that you will never find the depths of as you continue to swim in it. So, let that fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Even you that can't sing, that's important, okay? Thankfully. Thank God we can sing, right? And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him. To God the Father. All of us are to be diving into the depths of God's Word. Then we're sharing what we've learned, what we've gained through that as we sing, as we teach and counsel one another. Your role is to teach as much as my role is to teach as a follower of Jesus. We are working hand in hand in accord with one another. That is everyone's responsibility who is a follower of Christ. And then Paul dives even deeper into practical on the grounds, and he says, here's what the Christian family should look like. Here's what it should look like. Now, the family is God's idea. It started at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Okay, we'll we'll check this passage of Scripture out in just a minute. He started with Adam, and then he moved into this guy named Abraham, who's the father of many nations. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you. Let's bless the Lord. Family huge theme. And then it moves into Jesus, Jesus who earned us the right to become a part of a new family, a family that transcends any any boundary that we may have placed on ourselves or our own family. I'm family with, with our mission partners from Liberia just as much as I'm family with you here today because Jesus unites us together. And He's the perfect Father for us. And so family's such a big deal. But here's the thing, the family as we know it on earth is in disarray. Divorce is running rampant. You know, when we get into student ministry and we start asking kids to raise their hand if they're a part of uh, a family who's been affected by divorce, it's significant, the amount of kids. It's almost completely half of our students, sometimes more than half. There are 25 million youth in America that are growing up in fatherless situations, fatherless homes. Greenville County, the county that you live in, that you love, Greenville County has more foster children than any other county in the state of South Carolina. Kids in our county that don't have mom and dad around to love them and care for them. Home used to be where love, business, discipline, growth, hospitality was present. And now it's filled with disconnection, quiet, isolation, hurt, dysfunction, and this weird light, bluish, white glow on everyone's faces. But God didn't design the family that way. Check out Genesis 1 where He started it all. So God created human beings in whose image? God's image you are created in the image of God. So, God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Male, female, different. And then God said to them, He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth in it." I love talking about that with kids. It's one of my favorite things. God created this playground for you to enjoy life, to have freedom, to to literally just be satisfied with how good he is. And then, like, go make stuff. Like, make a boat, make a house, like build stuff out of it. And literally enjoy and be satisfied with the world that God made. That's what he did. And then he comes on to this. Like, if just making stuff wasn't enough. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That sounds awesome. You're both like an incredible builder and a zookeeper, like it's just a legitimate job description, right? That's what God wanted for us, to be filled. And the, the language that's used, there's order, there's structure, there's authority, there's satisfaction, and there's blessing in this. That is how God made the family. Did those phrases describe your family? Order, structure, authority, satisfaction, blessing. Blessing. And how do we get there? Sin has affected everything. Yeah, that sounds great, J.C., but then sin came to the earth and blew it all up. How's it supposed to look after sin? How's it supposed to look after the fall? How can Christ transform our families? Well, that brings us to our passage in verse 18. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always... Obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. If we're going to be families who honor Christ in our behaviors, if we're going to be families who honor Christ in our homes, we must go back to how did God design the family? What is our role? What is our part to play? So, let's get started. Take out your fill-ins responsibilities of the family include, wives submit fittingly, wives submit fittingly. Now, I just want to be honest with you and tell you this passage is filled with a bunch of landmines because of our culture. Um, and so, as I'm about to teach you, just realize I'm trying to like be very careful, and at the same time, I'm up here on the authority of God's Word, not J.C.'s authority. I'm not an expert on all these things, but I'm just going to give you what God's Word says, Okay we've got to ask ourselves, am I willing to hear what God's perspective is rather than my own perspective and opinion? And the culture is indoctrinating you to an opinion. So here we go. (laughs) Verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. We Also, I want to take a look at this passage in Ephesians as well because I think it will dial down and give us a little more uh, depth here so we can understand some things. Verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, Paul here is giving clear authority, clear structure for how the home is supposed to operate. But here's what happens in uh, situations like this. They begin to criticize Paul. And so, what they say is, Paul's just a male chauvinist. And so, he's just giving his opinion on women. He doesn't understand them. He doesn't get the culture that he's in. Like, he just doesn't understand. The problem with that is, like, the next verse says, husbands love your wives. And it's sort of like, that doesn't necessarily seem like a chauvinist talking. It seems like he kind of knows what that looks like. And that word love, and we'll talk about it, sacrificial. It means service. So, like, that's a big deal. Now, that's one of the criticisms. I think that's just the most logically difficult one to actually make if that's an opinion you have. Because like, this one verse is from Paul, but the rest of it is from the Spirit of God. Like, that seems really hard to just pick out one. So, that one's hard. The other one that you hear a lot is, well, Paul's old. Like, he, this is the old, this is a long time ago. We have progressed. We're in modern culture now. And so, Paul just, he just didn't have any idea what life was going to be like. He just didn't know. And so, poor Paul, like, he just, you know, he's just not smart enough to get there. Now, here's the problem with that. Once you start to understand the culture that Paul was in, you go, he was quite radical in what he was saying. So radical, in fact, the attitude of the people that would have heard this letter from Paul would have been like, like, Paul, I mean, like, we got to come back to conservative values. Like, what you're saying there is crazy. That's way too out there for us. And they're going to have to go home and go, like, Paul's saying some, like, liberal craziness. Like, what in the world is he saying, right? That's what those people were saying when Paul wrote this to those folks in Colossae, Laodicea, and Ephesus. And we're saying the exact opposite of that. He's just old. He didn't know what he was talking about. Like, we've progressed way past that. And so, it's interesting that both groups would have seen this as either radically crazy or way too incredibly conservative. And what that means is, is our culture dictates a lot of what we think a whole lot of what we think. God's Word should shape what we think. Who God is should shape what we think. What you'll also see for the chauvinist that Paul is is that he tends to give instruction to those who are weaker physically or weaker in terms of authority. He gives instructions to those folks first. So, who gets the instructions first, wives or husbands? Wives do. Who gets the instructions in the parenting relationship, children or parents? Thank you, kids. Thank you. Goodness, that was great. They're listening, parents. That's awesome. Kids get the instructions first. Why is that? It seems like if he were to fit into his culture, there may not be any instructions at all for wives, and there may not be any instructions at all for children. It's only going to be to husbands and to fathers. So, let's just deal with the language, okay? Here we go. The word submit. The word submit. Hupotasso. tasso. Kids, say that with me. tasso. Thank you, Jesus. I love it. Y'all speaking Greek today. It's good. That word tasso" means to place yourself under authority. To place yourself under authority. And that means specifically that that's a voluntary act on the behalf of the wife. The wife is volunteering her submission. And she does that not under compulsion… She does that willingly. The word your husband is also interesting because I I want to be clear here in saying Paul's not just saying, women, be submissive to men. That's not what he said. He's saying, wives, be submissive to your husbands. And there's a bunch of husbands in here. Your husband. Paul is meaning that there should be an intimate knowledge of each other. You should understand each other. You should know each other intentionally. And so you're submitting to your husband because your husband knows you. You're not submitting to all men, women. That's not what this is saying. It's wives submitting to husbands. Let's not make the Scriptures say what the Scriptures don't say. When a wife submits to her husband, it's a blessing to the wife and also to the husband. So, Paul is asking us to live out the structure that God designed. And just to give you a little piece of this, Genesis 1:27 talked about this, that male and female were created in the image of God. So, there is no inequality there. There's no inequality, male, female, both image God in God's kingdom, consistent throughout Scripture, okay? Genesis 2 starts to talk about the authority and structure of the home, that Adam is to husband the ground. He's to cultivate it. He's to love it. He's produced fruit from it. Eve is to be his helpmate, his helper, okay? She's to bear children. That's a part of the responsibility of the woman, not a responsibility of the man. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Ladies, I love y'all. Now, there are Eve's, Eve, no, after the fall in Genesis 3, after sin enters into the world, in Genesis chapter 3, there are consequences for both men and women. Let's look at the consequences specifically for Eve in Genesis chapter 3. This is verse 16. It says this, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. What God is doing here is He's laying out the consequence, but He's also giving instruction on the effect that sin is going to have in all of our relationships. In other words, sin's entered. It changes everything. And because of that, there's not only going to be pain in childbirth, there's also going to be a desire for women to rule, control, manipulate their husbands. Now, that's a, that's, I know this language is, is tough, so I, I want to help you understand this. Both of these consequences had to do with a woman's primary role according to God's design. That was to be a helper to her husband and to bear children. Both of those primary responsibilities, both of those sins affecting both of those primary responsibilities. Now, I want to be clear in talking about this equality piece, okay? So, I want to be clear in what Scripture means by that. We both equally are made in the image of God. Both men and women also equally represent God as His representatives. That word image doesn't just mean like the noun. It also means the verb. We've, we image God by our actions. We image God by our words. And also, our differences represent God. So the fact that women can give birth to children, that in itself is an image of God. God throughout Scripture talks about bearing children, that you are my children. Well, men, they they can't connect with that. They don't understand that. That's not a way that we represent and image God, but it is a way that women do. The, The love between a husband and wife mirrors the love between God and His children. Husband and wife are supposed to be in a covenant relationship. Covenant relationship, and kids, I want you to hear me say this with my words. Covenant relationship means that no matter what happens, mommy and daddy are married. That's what the word covenant means, that that we're supposed to stay together. And there are things, God talks about this in in the New Testament, that there are things that do separate husband and wife. With the word covenant, the relationship between a husband and wife is also supposed to mirror the relationship between God and us. Now, here's what's even crazier about that, because it's another level of covenant. Because the covenant between man and woman is, I'm going to uphold my responsibility, you're going to uphold your responsibility. The covenant between God and man is, God is saying, I'm going to uphold my responsibility and your responsibility, and anything that you do wrong, I'm covering through the sacrifice of me. And man says, praise God, I don't have anything to offer to that relationship. So it's different, okay? God is also described in both male and female terms in Scripture, predominantly male, but male and female, God as our Father, okay? So I want to tell you, wives, what what does submission actually look like? And then also I want to talk about what submission does not look like, okay, to hopefully give some clarification. So what does submission look like? How can a wife faithfully submit to the leadership and authority of her husband as given to him by the Lord? Submission involves helping your husband. It means creatively helping him as he has plans, decisions, all all the things that, that you're thinking through as a family. You're helping him. You're helping him disciple the children and manage the household. You are flourishing as you are loving, instructing your children, and also influencing the community. You are trusting your husband to lead instead of leaning to your own preferences, and the most important part of submission is you are submitting to God's leadership even before your husband's leadership. If you faithfully submit to God's leadership, you're going to trust that God's going to figure out your husband. You're going to trust that God's going to help your husband lead in the way that he should, and that ultimately is a submission to God's design first and then a submission to your husband's leadership. Let me talk about some stuff that submission is not. Submission is not following your husband into sin in any way, shape, or form. Submission is not being forced into submission. As we talked about the language, it is a voluntary choice. And so, while God's Word does say, submit, your husband demanded submission, it's a little, it's a little tough tension to manage, okay? You should be voluntarily submitting, and yet God's Word is saying, you need to be submitting. But it's not forced. It is not abuse of any kind, and I want to stop here and make sure you hear me say, God's Word does not condone abuse of any sort, any way, shape, or form. It is not condoned in any way. If you're a wife in here and you're being abused physically, verbally, emotionally by your husband, you need to tell somebody. We have counselors in the front. You can tell us. You can tell a pastor here on staff. You need to go tell the police. You need to go tell people in the community that resource you. God does not condone abuse. So you got to make that decision. That's not submission. If somebody's taught you that submission is allowing your husband to abuse you, that is a lie, and that is not God's Word. It also… Submission does not also mean that you don't have any influence on your husband at all. It doesn't mean that you don't help him and help him see perspectives that he doesn't understand. It means you help. It means you give critical opinions. It means you give a different perspective but you see decision-making and authority to Him. Now, I want to help you understand this because I have a lot of people here that help me, a ton. Like, I'm a young guy. All the older people love to help me, and I love hearing from them, okay? But let me also tell you this. There's not a human being in the history of planet Earth's effect on JC that has helped me more than my wife. Kristen loves me, and she helps me. And we're both older kids, which if you've done any birth order stuff, you know like that has not produced any conflict at all in our relationship at all. We both are, like, taking care of our siblings. We both are, like, listening and following the rules. Like, that's who we are. So when our rules, like, that we all have individually contradict each other, there's some tension, fellowship that needs to happen there to figure that out, right? Even this week, Kristen has helped me see as a husband something I can't see because of my emotional response to the issue. Hey, you need to look at this differently. Hey, you need to think about this differently. And then after she said, hey, you're wrong, basically, uh, in a very loving way, she also said, whatever you decide, I'm I'm behind you 100%. I trust you. I trust your leadership. Now, let me just tell you, as a husband, I wasn't like, okay, cool. I was like fired up. My wife just said, you're wrong, and I love you, and I'm going to follow you whatever you decide. That fires you up as a husband. You want to lead more when that happens. So I'm so thankful for her, and I know there are many wives out here who offer the same thing to their husbands. I want to give you a quote here from an author named John Piper. I think he's given a good perspective here for us to understand when it comes to submission. He just says this, submission is an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I am glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love, I do not flourish when you are passive, and I have to make sure that the family still works. But the attitude of Christian submission also says, it grieves me when you venture into sinful acts and want to take me with you. You know I can't do that. I have no desire to resist you. On the contrary, I flourish most when I can respond creatively and joyfully to your lead. But I can't follow you into sin. As much as I love to honor your leadership in our marriage, Christ is my King. In fact, the main strategy for a wife to win her husband, according to Paul, is to submit to his leadership. Not when it's sin. Obviously, there's a distinct difference in value system from a follower of Christ and someone who is not. So, not dishonoring to God in any way, shape, or form, but submitting to his leadership. And Proverbs 31 helps us here understand some things too. There's, there's, verse 16 talks about the, the wife, the Proverbs 31 woman going out and buying a field and planting a vineyard. Verse 24 talks about her making linen garments, belts for people that she can sell to merchants. Now, that may just seem like, oh, that sounds great, very crafty, right? But that's, that's not even, you're missing some of the pieces here. Like, she's selling to merchants who sell goods. Who do you think is going to come buy and sell goods? Who do you think, what family are they going to come to? the one whose wife goes and sells these things that they need that they didn't even know they needed, her industry outside of the home is influencing the love inside of the home and also the husband's influence outside of the home. The industry outside of the home ends up creating a better life inside the home and helps the husband as he tries to influence the community. When the wife submits fittingly, the home benefits, and so does the community at large. Wives, are you worried about your value for not being a career woman but being a homemaker or, as I've heard before, just a stay-at-home mom? Are you honoring your family by submitting to your husband's lead? And remember, don't submit and follow your husband into sin, and God is not condoning abuse of any kind. are are you refusing to submit to your husband because you're seeking to control or manipulate him into a particular direction? Are you honoring of your husband outside of your home? Are you honoring of your husband inside of your home? If your children in the community didn't have the relationship with your husband, what would they think of your husband based on your representation of him? Apart from God... Are you your husband's biggest supporter? If not, you need to repent, and you need to reconcile with God, and you need to reconcile with your husband. All of us in this room, this is not just a call to wives. We're to submit to the authority of God. Husbands, how are you helping your wife understand what submission looks like based on the way that you submit to the leadership of God? Are you modeling what submission looks like to your wife? All of us, wives, husbands, grandparents, single folks, people who would say, I have no claim at all. God is our authority. We will submit to Him either voluntarily or one day because He comes back and presents Himself as Lord and King. Not only should wives submit fittingly, but husbands should love fully. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, as we looked at the consequences of Eve in the fall, let's look at the consequences that Adam had as a result of the fall. It's in verses 17 and 18. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you all the ground, all of it. There's a lot of ground on the earth. All of it is cursed. There is not a single opportunity you're going to find, men, where it is not cursed because of sin's influence. You may go, this is the perfect opportunity for us. No, if the grass is greener on the other side, it's either because there's a bunch of dirt and mess underneath or there's a septic tank that is manipulating that ground to look real good, okay? All of the ground is cursed, all of it, all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. All of life, no matter what job, career, choice you made, is cursed because of the effects of sin. And yet, you still got to eat from it. You still got to go to work. You still got to do the job. This has, these consequences had to do with the primary role of men being provider and breadwinner for the family. They are the ones to take care of the family as stewarded by God, as given responsibility by God. That's a huge understanding that we've got to get to. And it means that you're going to be frustrated with work. It's not going to work the way you want it to. Now, the word love here in Colossians chapter 3 is another Greek word, and it's just agapato, agapato. It's a present tense verb, which just means you are continuously loving over and over again. You didn't just say, I do. You said, I did, and I am going to do. You have committed for a lifelong connection, relationship of service and love to your wife. Love means holistically. It doesn't just mean one part. It doesn't just mean the part that you really like to love. It means all of her you love. You love her quirks. You love her her physical parts. You love her emotional parts. You love her intellectual parts. You love every part of your wife consistently, continuously, sacrificially. And Ephesians 5 used the word head, and headship means a specific part of structure and authority of the family. So I want to just give you five things, husbands, that headship means. Five things. Wives, you might want to write them down so he doesn't forget, okay? Number one. Headship is a responsibility. It is not a right. It is not a right. It's a responsibility. It means you've got to fulfill your end of the bargain. Number two, it's a service. Leadership is service, and so we serve our wives. We serve our families, which means we have to know what they need from us. We have to say, wife, what do you need from your husband? I would love to love you. What's the best way I can love you? And I know some of you are going, that's just a dumb question. I will promise you, if you answer that question, your wife could probably talk for a couple minutes about how she would like you to love her. Number three, leadership. And leadership doesn't just mean being the leader. It doesn't mean title. It means modeling to your family. It means instructing, teaching. It also means delegating. And it means intentional investment. It does not make you less of a leader because you delegate the authority to make decisions to somebody else. There are a few times where I've said to Kristen, Kristen, you are passionate about this. You know this. You have the skill set to make this decision. You should make this decision. As the leader, I am giving authority away. And then she can make the decision but leadership means delegation. It means intentional investment into that. It also means leading and living with gentleness, with gentleness. And then five, it means honoring your wife in your oneness. She is equal with you. You are one. You are not separate entities. What God has placed together, let no man separate. We must lead our families to Christ, and we must also help them see the same attitude that Christ has. Now, some of you are going, duh, love your… I mean, really, this is the instruction that he gives to husbands, love your wives? Can I just tell you, in Greco-Roman culture, the culture that Paul would have wrote this particular passage saying, love your wives, can I just help you understand? Wives didn't go out in public. Like they couldn't wear certain hats. Like there is one instance that's, that's documented that a wife drank too much wine one time so the husband divorced her. And like no ramifications, it's just that was it. In Greco-Roman culture, if you look at all of the household codes, in other words, the rules for how the house should operate, there's not one single mention, literally zero, nada, zilch. There is no mention that husbands should love their wives, none. So when Paul said that, the Greco-Roman culture would have been like, woof, woof, love? Woof? I'm supposed to sacrifice for my wife? I'm supposed to serve her? What does that even mean? That's just crazy talk. She just needs to sit over there and do what I tell her to do. But isn't it interesting how modern culture has warped what Paul is actually saying to exactly the culture that Paul was trying to teach, that's not the right way? He's just old. I mean, it's 2,000 years old. What did he really know? Now, while you may have this as an expectation, ladies, that your husbands love you, please understand this probably was the first time this was written down on a piece of paper. It's such a big deal. And this is why this, this narrative that Jesus Christ is not about equality is so ridiculous. Jesus brought equality people hadn't even imagined before. God brought equality to people, value to people that people had never experienced. And yet we treat it like Christianity as a faith is full of hate and neglect and isolation and harm. That's not the faith that Christ teaches us. That's not the faith that Paul is talking about. It is loving leadership, sacrificial leadership, consistent, continual leadership. What you see in both the relationship between husband and wives is working together, and they benefit one another. Oneness. The wife should be seeking to please her husband. The husband should be seeking to please his wife. And the wife most loves the husband when she submits to his leadership. And the husband most loves the wife when he leads with loving, sacrificial authority. Just one quick word right here. Wives, if you're praying for your husband to take the spiritual lead in your household, I affirm you. That's a great prayer. But also, when God answers that prayer, watch out. Hold the reins. Because once God changes somebody, he changes 100%. I mean, they just change. And when Christ becomes the supreme value and treasure of a husband, guess what? You may be moving somewhere. You may be selling a bunch of stuff. You may be doing things that are really uncomfortable. And when the husband takes the lead and they're following Christ's lead, the family changes. And so pray that prayer. Pray it with boldness. Pray it with faith. But watch what you're praying for. And thank God when it comes. There is no more abundant, full life than the life of someone who treasures Christ above all. Husbands, are you leading? Would your children and your wives describe your leadership as passive or active? When is the last time you got the family together to say, hey, here's what God's Word says. What does this mean for us as a family? How are we going to follow Jesus in this? How are we going to follow God in this? Then Paul moves on to talk about children and their parents. Children should obey rightly. Now, again, children are the weaker members of the family here, physically and also in terms of authority. And the word here for obedience is hupakuo, hupakuo. And it's a similar word to hupo. It's voluntary, right? It's to place under authority and structure, but it also means obedience. It means to listen. It means to answer, Your obedience is a big deal. It's been a big deal since the beginning of this word being written in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Proverbs, in Colossians, in Ephesians. You see and hear talk of a parent's uh, reliance on their kid's obedience. Kids are supposed to obey their parents. In fact, the first commandment of obeying your parents comes with a promise Exodus 20.12 honor your father and mother. Then you'll live a long, full life in the land that your fathers are giving you. I remember memorizing that as a teenager. I was like, I'm going to live a long time. I'm just going to obey my parents. Like, this, foolproof. God promised it. This this is a foolproof promise. I'm taking this on. Now, other times, I misuse scripture that I had memorized, like this whole fathers don't exasperate your children. I was like, I mean, this is just overbearing, mom and dad. Like, you got to fix this. We'll get there. Children, are you consistently obeying or disobeying your parents? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. She's kind of embarrassed. Mom and dad may be embarrassed, but they're also rejoicing a little bit. They're like, thank you, Jesus, for the honesty. Kids, God calls you to obey your parents, and this isn't like some cute thing, disobedience. It's a serious thing. Leviticus 29 says this, anyone who dishonors, consistently dishonors, disobeys their mom and dad must be put to death. Such a person is guilty of a capital offense. Now, I heard some gasps, like real gasps. I just heard them. It's crazy. You may be going, that sounds crazy. Well, listen, your disobedience is a big deal. Because guess what? If you disobey your parents, guess who else you're going to disobey? You're going to disobey God. So, parents, when your kids disobey, what do you do? Do you treat it cute? Do you treat it like, ah, they should grow out of it. It's just a phase, this disrespect, this disobedience. Or do you instruct, model, teach them, help them understand this is disobedience, not just to us, but to God. Every time a child disobeys a parent, they also are disobeying God. It's a child's responsibility to obey and honor, but it's a parent's responsibility to instruct when they disobey. God does not condone abuse, kids. If you're in a, in a relationship with parents and they are somehow abusing you, please hear me say, you need to talk to somebody. It is not right. And if parents are tricking their kids into abuse, that is wrong and sinful. And we need to talk to the authorities. We need to talk to the cops. We need to deal with this. And you need to talk to a pastor. Abuse is not condoned by God. And we are equipped at Brookwood Church to help people walk through that process. But if your parents are not leading you into sin, kids, they're leading you into discomfort, or they're leading in you into a place that you don't prefer, you're to obey them. According to the authority of the Word of God, you're to obey your parents. And parents, if you don't discipline your kids when they disobey, you're also disobeying God. Kids, you need to be asking yourself, are my parents leading me into sin? If the answer is no, why am I not obeying them? Parents, you should discipline lovingly. I want to give you this list. I know we're short on time. Kids, you've been doing a great job, by the way. Way to go. I haven't seen any craziness. It's good. You've been more honest than your parents already. It's good. (laughs) I want to give you several ways that parents can aggravate or exasperate their children. Number one, neglect. Number two, they can be overly critical. Number three, they can be overprotective. That's why we do a fifth and sixth grade ministry, by the way. So when your kid gets to fifth grade and you think, oh my gosh, the world is about to eat them alive, you have a student pastor to say, the world's not going to eat them alive, but you need to back up a little bit. You're helicoptering a little bit. Like, chill out, some mom. And we'll lovingly do that with you. And you won't like us for a little bit, but it's okay. We're helping you, okay? You can make your children feel unworthy of love. You can put too high expectations on them. You can show no emotional or physical affection towards your children. You cannot provide for your children's needs. You cannot give them any boundaries or standards of behavior. You can show favoritism towards a sibling. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't say that a kid is your favorite, because all of my kids are my favorite, right? Like, that's just a good, good principle. But... There's a difference between saying all of your kids are your favorite and then actually having a favorite kid. And your kids know that. You can also not draw on their strengths, but continually point out their weaknesses. Now, parents... Our big job, if I could categorize our job as parents in disciplining your kids into two responsibilities, it is forming in them an awareness of God, God awareness, and then submission to God, God submission, okay? They are aware of God, that He's always around, He always has a plan, He always knows what's going on, and our job is to obey and get in line with it. We submit to God. God. Now, if you're in here today, we want to help you because parenting's crazy, right? I mean, there's phones now, and I will just tell you from my perspective, I'm one of the first generations of parents who did grow up with some technology. And so it's starting to shift a little bit because parents are like, no, technology's crazy. I was a teenager with technology, it's crazy. Okay. So there I think the next group of parents, these young parents that are starting to have babies, I think they're gonna be stronger on technology you could even imagine them being. Okay. But it's different. And so we're here to help you. Today, there are select parenting resources that are 20% off in the bookstore. If you go to Ministry Spotlight today, there's a bunch of stuff out there. I want to highlight a few of those things that are out there today. First of all, there's just a book on general parenting principles. If you're not a parent but want to be one at some point, you should start there. Parenting by Paul David Tripp. It's just real easy. It's parenting. Ask for the book called Parenting, okay? Uh, it's a great book kind of covers what is it, how do we how do we modify behavior with a gospel mindset, which is a huge thing and difficult to do. We also have resources that are available specifically based on the stage of life that you're a child in. About a year ago, we did a conference called Phase and walked through birth all the way through high school. So, you go out there, there's literally a pamphlet, pamphlet for ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, literally birth all the way up. You, those are free. You only have to pay for those. You just go grab them. And if you don't want to wait in the line because it's going to be packed, you just go to brookwoodchurch.org phase and get them, P-H-A-S-E. There are also two. If you're having trouble bringing God's Word into your home, how do I instruct my kids? How do I instruct my family in God's Word? There's two resources out there for you. One, Family Worship by Donald Whitney. He just kind of gives you structure and practical help on what does it look like to bring God's Word in our home. Do we have to sing? Do we have to teach the Bible? What does that that mean? That book covers all that. It's real short. It's great for people like uh, me, dads, that can read a real short book that's really practical and gives us stuff to do. Okay, The other resource is the New City Catechism. Now, this is available on a free app but this is how to teach your kids doctrine, how to teach them the Bible, how to help them understand that. And it's designed for kids ages 8 through 11, but if you're a parent and you start going through this catechism, you realize real quick, I am learning a whole lot about the Bible and about God. My son and I do this. It's one of the best things that we've done. He's understanding the Trinity. He's understanding what does it mean that Jesus is our Redeemer? What does it mean that they're created male and female? And it's just question and answers. great. It's a great resource. And here's the thing. You've heard a lot of stuff today, a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things to do, and you may be thinking to yourself, what in the world? They okay, say so You gave us like a million things. I have several lists that I had to write down. Where do I start? But I want to remind you, before you think about where to start, I want to remind you of what Josh has been teaching about the last two weeks. We're full because of Christ. You have every resource you need to lead your family because of Jesus Christ. And if there are people in here that you've never experienced the love of a family, in fact, when you look back at your family, you go, that was not loving experience at all. And even me relating to God as Father is difficult. I hope that you'll pray and and really figure out what does Scripture truly say and maybe not what I've been taught or what I've heard or what I've seen on a Facebook post. And if you're a grandparent, if you're a step-parent, we didn't necessarily talk about your specifics today but you have a role to play. Grandparents, you need to help us. You need to help us parent our kids. Help us understand. You need to let us go on dates. You need to let us have some fun as some parents. Because so, little kids are exhausting. Physi- I mean physically, not emotionally. Teenagers are emotionally exhausting. Little kids are physically exhausting. They just run. And over and over again. And they're fast. And they eat. It's crazy. So we need your help. Help us. And yeah, there's a balance between saying too much and not saying enough. But we need your influence. We need your influence. And if you're a step-parent, you're to be husband. You're to be wife. You're to be parent. Just like mom or dad. But it's not the same. You're right. It's different. It's different. You're God's representative for this child. Help them see And yeah, there's lots of pieces. In fact, I'd point to a CARE podcast. Not too long ago, CARE podcast talked about step-parents and their role. You can just look at the podcast online and check that out. It's a great resource, a great resource. So right now, I just want you to pray. I want you to go, God, what am I supposed to do with my family today? What step do I need to take? We actually had somebody today that left the service to go repent and reconcile with her husband. In the middle of it, I'm like... Good God, that'll preach. Come on, Jesus. So, husbands, you might need to repent and reconcile with your wife today. Wives, you might need to repent and reconcile. You might need to get with your kids and go, we haven't been fulfilling our role as parents. Kids, you might need to repent. You just heard. You want to repent some more? Read Proverbs 30, 17 and see what God does with some mocking that you might do to your parents. It involves birds and your eyeballs, okay? But most of all, God, what do you want from us? And thank you for being the father that we need. Counselors, if you'll come down front, let's pray. God, you offer the fullness of Christ to us, all of us, kids, parents, husbands, wives, grandparents, step-parents, foster parents, adoptive parents. And I pray if you spoke to us in this service, God, give us the boldness to take a step. And I pray as we hear your word spoken to us, help us to fall under the authority and to obey you. God, I pray that our families would grow. I pray that they would grow not just physically with more children, but they would also grow emotionally as we love and serve one another. God, thank you for how much you love us. Thank you that we can see how to be a parent because we have the perfect parent in you. Make our homes different. Make our neighborhoods different. Allow us to open up our home, not out of embarrassment, but in confidence that people will see Jesus Christ through our family. And I pray, I pray, God, that you'll use your word in our life to help us see and grow in our connection, understanding, and submission to your leadership. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen.